Hello, welcome to The Freedom Factor, a podcast dedicated to exploring freedom and truth. From medical freedom, to freedom of speech and movement, to religious and spiritual freedom. In a time when our freedoms are being threatened at every turn, many of us are forming a collective space where we can share truth and knowledge without the fear of being canceled or censored. Fortunately, as we've seen throughout history, there are those brave souls who dare to speak out and stand against the tyranny that is threatening to overtake all of us. You will meet some of those brave souls here on The Freedom Factor. I'm your host, Oliver Bardwell. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, Iowan for Freedom. We have another of the uh, Freedom Five doctors with us today, Dr. Bradley Meyer. Dr. Meyer came out Monday and spoke to you all at our rally. And afterwards, he spoke at our private luncheon with 40 legislators and senators. And it was really powerful. And I want to really thank you, Dr. Meyer, for coming out and taking the time to, one, share your story, and two, provide some insight into what's going on that we're really not seeing in the mainstream. So thanks so much and welcome. Yes. It's been an incredible year. And uh, I'm I'm so happy to be with you. It was uh, an incredible event that uh, y'all put together down at at the state Capitol. And uh, I, it, it was energizing to me to see the faces there, the the folks coming up and cheering each other on, uh, you know, it, it that good energy is what it, it's it's rocket fuel. So uh, it, it it gives me the 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 motivation uh, just to keep fighting every day. So well, and people love your story and they love your courage. You know, it's people like you who dare to come out and say, Hey, uh, we're going to treat our patients and we're going to, uh, you're going to do whatever you can to make them well, to, despite what, you know, the protocol might be coming down from the top. And that's, I watched your um, documentary um, doctor's orders on rumble today, and it was really powerful. So anyone that wants to check that out, can go to drbradleymeyer.com and under resources, you have a link to that. And they can also schedule an appointment with you at drbradleymeyer.com as well, right? Right. Right now we're doing some telehealth visits for specific COVID-related, that's prevention, treatment, uh, COVID long-haul symptoms. So there's there's a lot of lot of folks that are needing uh, treatment that's not offered by the, the mainstream corporate medical world. Would you uh, give our listeners a little background about yourself and kind of tell us your story and how you got to where you're at now, starting a new clinic and everything? Right. So I'm an Iowa native. I grew up in Eagle Grove and finished uh, my high school in Okaboji, uh, which is where I'm at now, Northwest Iowa, and uh, did my undergrad training, uh, degree in biology at the University of Iowa. And... uh, medical school, Des Moines University in the capital city there, 
and uh, then I did my University of I or uh, University of Nebraska Medical Center was where I completed my my family medicine residency training, and that was a joint program between uh, uh, the military and the civilians. So I was in the Air Force uh, for about eight years. They uh, uh, helped me through uh, medical school and. Uh, uh, with the those payments and and in return, I I gave time to them, and that included three years down in Valdosta, Georgia, where uh, I uh, was the head of the uh, the medical unit there, uh, the medical clinic, and I spent about six months overseas uh, during the uh, yeah, war in in Afghanistan. I, I was in a outlier country near Yemen. Uh, so that was an incredible experience that I feel like God has been prepping me along the way um, with uh, all of the steps. Uh, you know, even in the military, I always would I challenge the paradigm and ask, all right, you know, why are we doing this if it didn't make sense? Um, and uh, I think that's healthy. So it was it was a, an incredible journey, an incredible experience in the Air Force. Uh, and uh, came back to, to Des Moines where I practiced with Unity Point for about seven years. I was in Grimes for a small little bit and then most of my time in Des Moines was in, in Pleasant Hill. So called Johnston home. I commuted every day to Pleasant Hill and uh, worked with Dr. Tim Vermillion in there who's uh, in my opinion a legend uh, in Des Moines because he's, he's your quintessential small town doctor and he talk, taught me how to lean into the patient care. Um, to the, he, he told me that, Brad, you know, this is, we're caring for souls here. And, and sometimes you got to lean and bend and to be willing to take the time to listen to your patients and, and do, the, do right by them despite what a corporate algorithm may tell you uh, is a specific office visit for a patient. So, uh, Going through medical school, we're, we're trained in, in residency, we're trained to uh, withstand stress and, and to, uh, in many ways, uh, medicine, the medical field has been moving towards an algorithmic model over the years where we have started to look at patients as widgets almost in, in treating every patient like they're the same. And yeah, as humans, we have some similarities, of course, but we are all unique uh, individuals and, and all of our plans and care needs to be tailored to the individual. And, and so that was this, this divergence that I was seeing from what my mentor, Sally Sutton, taught me at Des Moines University. She taught me about taking a great physical and, and, and listening to a patient, taking the time to listen and and i saw ourselves going away from that the further i got into my medical journey and that that really led to some burnout um and and ultimately uh because i was spending more time typing on my computer um instead of i felt talking to my patients although i spent a lot of time talking to my patients I, i'd spend till midnight some nights typing on the computer so um you know it I knew that that something had to change for me to continue to practice the way that I wanted to practice to care for my patients versus 
the way that the corporate model uh, was was encouraging us to to get patients in in a quick visit and uh, very artificial, where pretty much as a physician, we already knew what we were going to do for a patient before we even sat down for the visit and not even listen to the patient. So that's the direction we were heading. And I think a big reason where, uh, you know, we are where we are right now as a medical community is because they tried to separate us from our using our minds and applying them to each individual condition to waiting for orders to waiting for um, uh, guidelines to come down from, say, a three letter agency like we have right now with with statements that this is how you treat this medical condition. Um, and as, as sovereign minds and, and going through and taking the Hippocratic, the osteopathic oath, uh, we are a sovereign mind and each patient is a sovereign mind and, and we need to um, not always get stuck into thinking of patients as just another widget on, on, on the, on the uh, um, supply chain line, I guess. So when did um, you first see that um, when COVID hit or came onto the scene, when, when did you first see that something needed to change or when did you first start seeking for alternatives? Where were you, where were you working at the time and you right. know, what were you seeing and what was going on? So uh, we moved up to Okaboji uh, in, in search of well, some more balance. I love the lakes. I love being by the water. Um, loved our time in Des Moines, but uh, moving back home was a, was was what was right for us at that time. And uh, really, you know, I it, it was it's been a great experience up here. Another God-directed move for us. Um, and when COVID hit in in March, I talked to our pastor, and he and. I'm like, I think that this is, this is, this doesn't all add up. And, and this was in March of, of 2020 and, and, but I'm going to go along until I can gather more information. So the social distancing, the mask wearing, the, you know, the bend the curve, uh, take a pause with everything. At the time I thought that sounded reasonable, but things certainly, uh, started to not add up pretty quickly for me. We were, we were seeing, we're basically telling patients to stay away. We're, we're a, a health institution where our goal is to not be afraid of the sick, but to take care of the sick. And when you and, say we, were you working in a hospital at this time or? Yeah, I'm at a hospital corporation out of, uh, out of Sioux Falls. And so this is, uh, there's a regional or county hospital that I worked at as a, inpatient doctor. So I'd take care of my patients that were sick. If they had to be hospitalized, I'd see them in the, in the county hospital in Dickinson County. Um, and then there's an outpatient clinic. So the family medicine clinic that's attached to the hospital. And so I would, if needed, follow my patients. If they got ill, needed to be hospitalized, I would go with them to take care of them in the hospital. So, but yeah, it's a, it's a hospital corporation out of, out of Sioux Falls that that uh, is a partnership with that hospital and and is uh, represents or is is the, the the employer of the of the doctors in that family medicine clinic. So, but you know, 
we 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 had all this you know having been in the military uh we we talked about contingency plans all the time and it was interesting to see the 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 civilian side try to do this for this impending doom that was coming and it's almost like it was wait 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 for it and it never hit until maybe july or august where we started to get more busy in in the hospital in the clinics way after what was happening in new york city and uh you know, we were we were doing the same thing everywhere else was uh, we were we had a COVID protocol team out of Sioux Falls that that and a COVID team at the hospital and clinic that would put together the plan for the community, how we were going to manage COVID treatment, the patients that came into the building, or were they going to be segregated, mask wearing, what needed to be done. Um, but this was never a uh, an effort that was discussed together with all of the doctors in the clinic. This was, there was public health, there was one doctor representative, but uh, there was no collaboration. It was very top down. This was what we were gonna follow as far as a COVID protocol that comes from the corporate uh, hospital program out of, uh, out of Sioux Falls. Um, and that included treatment plans or lack thereof. I mean, essentially they told people that that you know go home self-isolate and hydrate and then if you get worse come into the emergency room well as we found out with covid it's like the ball rolling downhill it picks up picks up steam and um and and that's what was happening instead of talking early treatment prevention patients are coming in blue blue lips and needing oxygen and we were playing from behind. We were we were trying to play catch up by the time they were so sick. It's funny said, that you say that. I hate to interrupt yeah. when I'm interviewing somebody, but I was um, I was talking to somebody who had COVID at that time, and they said they were told not to come back until their lips turned blue. Right, and they, they did. Their lips turned blue, and they had to go back to the hospital. You know, and so they missed that big window of pre-treatment or early treatment. And that's still going on. When I had COVID, I i mean, I had to call them three times about the test. They never told me anything. I was in and out in two minutes at, at the doctor. And yeah. that finally, they put a little note on the test results that went came through my portal that said, COVID-19 positive, push fluids, take over the counter meds, and um, review quarantine guidelines. And that was it. That was the... I had already started pre-treatment with another doctor that I knew, luckily, that had a great protocol, so it was not a big deal. But if I had just followed that, that what little paragraph that they sent me, I would have been hanging out at home just getting sick. Right, and that and that that flies in the face of everything we want to try to do. At, at least we were trained to do medical school and. Uh, if you have some you have an option and the ability to head something out off before you get to the pass, it's uh, that's that's the better way. Especially when we were talking about how inundated everybody was, the ICUs, the the ICUs were full, and the the medical floors were full, and and that's where I said, well, there's got to be another way. And I, I looked up the Zelenko protocol, and out of out of New York City, he's a family medicine doctor that. He had looked at some some 
treatment efforts in uh, Europe and found they were having some success with hydroxychloroquine and um, azithromycin or ZPAC and, uh, and, and zinc as well in early treatment and prevention of people from having to go into the hospital. So I thought certainly that's worthy of looking at if we're trying to save lives here and, and shorten the course of an illness that let's at least look at this. But uh, when I brought the, that topic up for conversation at, at meetings in the, in, the, in the hospital and with my colleagues, it literally was silence. Uh, I, there was no interest from you know, the administrative level to unfortunately my colleagues as well to say, well, maybe we should look at early treatment and support, supportive treatment for the immune system, vitamins, vitamin D3, vitamin C. Uh, it just it amazed me that everybody was just, this is the protocol that was given to us through the corporate hospital in Avera uh, or in Sioux Falls. Um, and uh, they, uh, we're going to stick to that like it is it's foolproof that that protocol and and, and I, I just could not uh it made no sense to me and so i i immediately started to to try the protocol and 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 was having tremendous success it was like a light switch people would go on the hydroxychloroquine for a couple of days of course i used that medication when i was in the military prescribed it all the time as anti-malarial prophylaxis. So I was incredibly comfortable with it. And, and, uh, it, it was like a light switch turning, turning off people's symptoms after 36 to 48 hours. Is, I got it, so it, is it used for, um, rheumatoid arthritis as well? Yeah, it's, it's an autoimmune modulating. So it controls inflammation. Um, and, and it helps with viral replication as well. So decreases viral replication. So it's a, it's a, Oftentimes with lupus as well, uh, it's a medication used. Um, but the, the that medication was essentially sabotaged by one of the medical journals, and uh, they where they used a dose of hydroxychloroquine that was way higher than what we would be using in COVID. I think and it was like twenty eight hundred milligrams or something like that. It, something it was way high. It was ridiculous, and and. And so now, of course, over a year later, they made a correction and, but the, the die was cast and, and, and set in most positions by that point, they trusted that the journal that came out, if it said hydroxychloroquine was not the thing to use or that it was dangerous, most physicians then just took that as gospel and, and didn't explore any further. So they didn't read uh, or didn't uh, it didn't turn on a a light that said, "Hey, this is a really high dose. This isn't what we're typically giving patients, you know." Or maybe they don't read that far. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's what it is. Most of the time, it's you you like New England Journal of Medicine or a, uh, a similar journal. Over the years, it's developed such a um, a following and a trust factor that doctors. Over the years, we've gotten so busy, we're, we're asked to see more patients in shorter amount of time, and you're doing a lot more documentation on the computers. It really is leads to doctors to have less time for balance in their life, and let alone to go and 
take the time to research these things. Uh, so uh, doctors are really tired at the end of their day. And then at night, they got to go home and chart on the computer further. So the, 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 it's this time for creative thinking and deductive reasoning has largely been eliminated by having us going faster and faster in the hamster wheel every day. So that article was eventually retracted. Yes, yes, it was. And it, of course, doesn't get the fanfare. It, it's in the subtext that a correction was made. And uh, uh, but it's interesting now, you know, you will see uh, acknowledgement in some of the mainstream sources, uh, print media that that it's uh, there are studies that prove its effectiveness. So you had a patient too that you um, you administered NAC to with good results, and just before you were let go from the hospital, you were treating patients with alternative ideas and therapies and things that you right. saw other doctors doing that were working. And right, right, yeah, the N-acetylcysteine, which is it's like an amino acid. Um, it's a it's a nutraceutical. It's food for our mitochondria. Uh, and mitochondria are the powerhouses of our cells. Uh, those things get ravaged during COVID infection. Uh, the mitochondria burn out, the glutathione levels go down, which is the food for that mitochondria, the way to build the food back up. So our, our cells are nutritionally starved with COVID. Um, and to build that back up, we have to feed the cells. And one of the ways to do that is with an acetylcysteine, which you can get over the counter in the oral form or the IV form. And the IV form, not only does it increase the, 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 the food for the cells, but it also decreases mucus production in the lungs. And by doing that, it reduces oxygen. Um, well, the, the requirements of oxygen then go down. It, and, and so, people that are many times heading towards needing ICU or potential ventilation, intubation, all of a sudden it's pretty dramatic within one or two treatments with the IV and acetylcysteine, their oxygen requirements go down and they don't need to be ventilated. And the cool, the cool story, <laughs> I was just, so this one patient, she got uh, rapidly better and she, three days after, four days after treatment, instead of going to the ICU, she was discharged and is doing great to this day. When I was down in Des Moines on Monday, I got a, I got a, a message from um, uh, a dear friend that helped put together the, the documentary. And she is a, re, a retired nurse. She got tired of the medical uh, situation. She's in her maybe late thirties or forties. And she is a, just, she's a, She's a warrior for truth and uh, and willing to do whatever it takes, however God's going to use her. This day, she's like, well, we did this documentary. You talked about NAC. There's a family in Florida right now that the, the, the individual is intubated and is not doing well. How do we how do we get this protocol to them? And so uh, we did. And. Just this week, I, I learned this where you start to see some cracks in, in the hole uh, of the, the system, which is a beautiful thing. Um, this individual in Orlando, they not only approved ivermectin, they approved IVNAC just this how, week. How did you do that? Because, I mean, I have, I've had friends in the hospital before, and 
I mean, I don't know if I should talk about this, but their family snuck in a protocol through in shakes and in right. suits. Then when they left the hospital, it was a miracle mm-hmm. because the people that came in in their condition usually didn't make it out. Right. So, but the the hospital had no interest in any other alternative treatment or letting them do that. I mean, um, it had to be like a big fight not to get remdesivir. One of them had remdesivir and was on their last day before they they took in this other protocol. But yeah, how did how did they they get the doctors to administer the NAC and the other alternatives? Prayer. <laughs> I know there's a lot of prayer going to love, but they, they went in and they showered that staff with praise. Really? And they did. They, wow. they, they brought in food um, for the nurses. Uh, they, they brought in some PubMed studies that, that were showing the benefits and potential benefits of IVNAC and ivermectin brought that in and then that just melted the walls uh and the hearts of of the people there so an incredible story that his oxygen requirements are going down and he's on he's hopefully in the next day or two will be uh extubated and won't won't need the uh ventilation but he's on the ivermectin and and He's on the IV and acetylcysteine. And so, uh, good question, Oliver. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think there was some divine intervention. That's there. a miracle. Yeah. And a total miracle. But that's that was the different approach that they took. Instead of going in there, you know, with, you know, just mad and bent out of shape and that, that and rightly so. I mean, why? Which is hard to do when you have a loved one that's in the hospital. Totally, especially yeah. when they won't let sometimes family in to to see yeah. the loved one, and and they're not administering the protocols that we know work. Digging their heels in, it would be easy to build up a lot of frustration and anger. But they went in with grace and love, and and some hearts were moved, and and. And that's where it takes you do you do you get this through in one or two health systems um another great one at, at my local hospital up here um the nac just got approved uh for another patient with covid just this last couple of days his oxygen requirements were going up and they brought in information from the front line the fl triple c the flccc um, and and provided some evidence and reasoning for the IVNAC. The doctor on call approved it, went through, and now that person's oxygen requirements are going down as well. He wasn't intubated, but his, his medical condition is looking much better from every day. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So it's been a big week. <laughs> it's yeah. Like yeah. Moving mountains. Literally. Right. Right. And you were, okay, so you're, you're doing another protocol, you're prescribing hydrochloroquine, you're using NAC, you're helping your patients get out of the hospital. And then all of a sudden you get a call, all the suits are coming in to talk to you from other places. Right. What happened there? Right. You know, I, I, I had implemented the, the ivermectin, the hydroxychloroquine, and they had, 
sat me down a couple times and with meetings telling me to stop prescribing uh, those medications. They didn't argue with me about their efficacy. They, are, they just said that that was a part of the official treatment protocol that had been approved by the COVID team uh, through that hospital. And so uh, there was that. And, and so they didn't realize that you were a veteran and you, no. were, you, you were a lifesaver. You weren't going to veer from that. No. And, and the other thing was the, the vaccine. They told me that I was confusing the community by having proper informed consent. Now, they didn't say by having proper informed consent, but um, I, that's what I was doing. I was sitting down with my patients and explaining what we know is in the vaccines, what, what we don't know that's in the vaccines and the experimental nature of them. And that was their exact words. You're going to confuse the community. Uh, and so we really do not want you talking further about the, the COVID, the COVID injections. So, so they didn't want you to give the patient informed consent. Essentially that's, that's what they told me in a roundabout way. And so time was, it was building up and <laughs> I, I, I talked to, this is what God is so amazing. This last year of the connections all over the place where a friend of mine is pathologist in Des Moines, his brother-in-law is Pierre Corey, and who's the frontline FL triple C doctor. That's been the big advocate for ivermectin. He's out of Wisconsin. So I was on the phone with him in December and he's like, Brad, hold the line. Keep, keep doing, you're going to be proven right in the end. This is a miracle drug. And we, we, we need to keep, you do what you're doing. You're going to keep saving lives. So I did, I kept doing it despite the warnings from, from the mothership that, uh, to stop. And then after that IV and acetylcysteine that I ordered, um, for this patient, uh, and she eventually got out of the hospital. I, I got a text uh, Monday morning to go in to talk to what was the, the administrators from that hospital institution out of Sioux Falls. And they told me I was relieved of my duties immediately. Uh, and they said without cause. And so I had a room full of uh, rooms full of patients and they, they walked out the hometown guy um, on the start of a busy clinic week Monday morning. And so, but it was, it was a feeling uh, of, of relief that, that literally the night before my wife and I prayed that God would give us the discernment, the guidance of where we were supposed to continue this mission and, and whether or not it was going to be within the hospital system or not. I mean, I knew in my heart what was the right thing to do for my patients to give them the opportunity to make the choice on these these early treatment options. They deserve those those choices, incredibly safe treatment options. And and so the next morning, God was pretty quick. He's you know terminated immediately. I walk out the door. The sun is shining brighter than to me I'd ever seen it shine. I just I felt weight lifted from my shoulders and this immense joy uh not knowing where my next paycheck was going to come from i didn't i didn't care i mean it, it literally i knew god had been guiding me through this whole battle and he was going to continue to take care take care of me
I hope there's other medical professionals that are listening to this and listening to your story that will be inspired to just um, quit keeping their heads down and to to look at those studies and to look at what other people are doing and how they're they're saving patients with early treatment and keeping people out of the hospital. And the, I, I think there's so much pressure. I mean, probably the young doctor has a mountain of debt from college they're trying to pay off, you know, and it's got to be scary. But when you can be an example like that, I think it, it, it's a very important and amazing that you've done that. I, that is one of the things that, that I, I hope it emboldens emboldens my colleagues that are still entrenched into the system to to know and and they'd shared with me before I was let go where where else am I going to go you know we don't disagree with with you on some of what you're saying about the masks or the injections and and we think there may be some merit to some of these early treatments but um where are we going to go was you know that was that was the common common response and and so god god has a place for you on the other side of of the corporate tyranny so what is god's place for you and where are you going to go so uh, i'm i'm in the physical building right now we're building a health and wellness clinic um, that's going to focus on actual health care i think that that one could argue have we ever been really practicing healthcare or have we been practicing sick care uh, for decades? It uh, doesn't take away from the fact that traditional medicine has its place. We need our great surgeons, we need our great ERs. Um, and at some points there's still some time where pharmaceuticals are definitely needed. Um, but I love to focus on fixing things at the cellular level and to be able to get down to an organelle level to find an answer for why there there is the problem at hand and not just putting a band-aid on it and and so that's that's the mission i think for the the healthcare system that is going to come out of this uh, you know i think we we need to rethink things of how we help patients take care of themselves we give them the tools to do it to educate themselves. We can be there as champions to, to energize and encourage and be there when they really do need us. Um, but also to, to be able to introduce some things that that are not thought of as part of the traditional model and in, in, in the medical model. And one of them is it's hyperbaric medicine, it's, which is increased atmospheric pressure it's so that's the thing behind you that kind of looks like a cross between a tent and a boat i think or a jacuzzi yeah. hot yes. tub or something exactly yeah this this is this is the jumbo unit and it it's it's a soft chamber that people can have even in their own homes it's not regulated by the fda it's at 1.3 atmospheres of pressure that's the difference between flying and landing or going about 13 feet underwater what that does is it increases oxygen saturation throughout your entire body and and uh it it does some amazing healing curative things that if you're looking for a great book on the power of of hyperbaric pressure and oxygen it's the oxygen revolution by dr paul harch there's over 100 different things that hyperbaric can treat including covid 
um, that that will absolutely blow your mind. It blew my mind. I didn't know anything about it up until about nine months ago. And I talked to Dr. Ted Fogarty out of North Dakota, who a patient of mine introduced me to. And this is this whole God weave and, you know, God winks that have happened. And Dr. Fogarty, he's a, tra- he's a radiologist that had come upon hyperbarics and the benefits of them. And he also was the one that suggested, hey, there's some studies on N-acetylcysteine. Why don't we try this? They're not going to let you do ivermectin in the hospital. Well, why don't we try this? So <clears throat> Dr. Fogarty has brought me along uh, this process to introduce me to some of these alternative treatments that I think of are more holistic and more natural um, and, and beneficial in many ways. It's tuning up our bodies to be their own best pharmacy. It's, 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 it's to, tr- treating our bodies, getting them in the optimal um, position to, to detoxify from what we get in injections over time. You know, I've come to know vaccines have a lot of, of aluminum and, and different metals in them that those build up over time as well and aren't good for us. So that helps that too, helps with autism. It helps with post-stroke um, uh, deficits, physical deficits, dementia can be reversed in, in hyperbaric chambers. So it, it, I feel like the, the kid in Willy Wonka that's walking into the chocolate factory and it's all the beautiful colors and all the different, the, the, my new world of medicine has opened up to out of the, the construct in this box that I was trained in, which is pharmaceuticals. And, you know, that again, they've got their place, but this whole other exciting world of uh, getting into stuff like frequency, biofeedback, um, uh, ozone therapies, you know, IV vitamin therapies, there, there are, it, it should be an all of the above approach that we bring to healthcare and wellness. And that's, that's the plan for the mission for the world, for the new age of healthcare, because we've lost a lot of, a lot of trust in our traditional healthcare system. Yeah. And, you know, there's um, integrative family medicine here in Des Moines. They're working on their third location. I went there yesterday to get an IV treatment, a Myers cocktail with N-acetylcysteine in it and a vitamin D shot. And you can just go in and, and they'll hook you up and you're in and out in 30 minutes. And right. it feels great. I mean, it's great. It, yeah. It, 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 this stuff should be so exciting to folks. Right. Um, and I, I look at it as an onion. We are all complicated and beautiful creatures, human beings. But usually it takes some peeling back of the layers of that onion to, and, and that's what an integrative practice, like you mentioned, does. And it, we work with a chiropractor, uh, acupuncturist and yep. a functional medicine doctor, because we all need each other. Um, and, and even from a nutritional perspective, having a functional nutritionist, um, how we can work those layers of the onion back to get to the root of the problem actually fix it and then start to fix everything else and kind of work backwards. So the hyperbaric chamber, how does that work? I mean, is you go one time, you go three times, you go once a week or. Yeah, it's, yeah. 
it's cool because this, even for this concussion, we had a volleyball player in, in the area here, Spirit Lake this summer. We had the chamber in our house and word got around that we had the chamber and, and she'd been to the emergency room, you know, had the thousand dollar workup, still left with headache and some, some fatigue, not feeling great, kind of some brain fog. <clears throat> so we did five treatments with her. And after the first and second treatment, headache gone, mental clarity back, she was like, man, I'm just, I feel like I'm thinking more clear than I have in a long time. And so that usually it's about a five, five dive minimum um, process for something's like an acute injury, like a concussion or a sprained knee, something like that. Um, for some of the more chronic stuff like dementia, post-stroke deficits, um, cerebral palsy, that takes around 40, 40 treatments. And they're usually about an hour treatment. But speaking of the hot tub that you talked about, this is this is what the mission part of the mission in is is bringing some of those therapies to people's homes. So even if it's a community, a family that buys a unit and they share it, and it's it's kind of like this co-op share, um, to have that at home is an incredible and powerful gift and treatment option and regenerative uh, cellular amplifier. And, and so we want to be to the point where we will be writing script prescriptions for people to take these home and be able to, to treat themselves safely at home and reverse a lot of these, work on reversing a lot of these conditions that we thought many of them were permanent. You know, if you have a stroke, we used to think that the tissue was all dead. What happens is it's almost like it goes into neutral. It's like an engine going into idle. And, and, and once you amplify with some pressure and oxygen and you do 20 to 40 treatments, it's, it, it wakes that tissue up again. So people that were um, having trouble with cognition and doing daily activities like getting dressed, uh, if you look up the Bobby Costa story um, out, of, out of Colorado that Dr. Fogarty worked with with dementia and how his dementia was reversing um, and, and, or the Eden Carlson story of this three-year-old little girl out of Arkansas that she was without a pulse and near drowning for 90 minutes. She did 40 treatments of hyperbaric therapy and she at age or I, roughly five or so now is a 99.9% fun, normally functioning little girl where she was not able to talk and could not move well. So the, it, this is what gets me so excited because how, how does it work? How um, does it work? Well, it 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 works. It amp it amplifies. Think of it this way: as as we all are a battleship or a castle, and we all have kinks in our armor over time, and and it's the insults from the toxins in the air, the food, whatever we take in, illness, and we start to leak energy, and so. Voltage, our cells have voltage and power in them. And if you, as you get older and you take more of these insults, those cells leak more voltage over time. And so what 
that does, it's it's like plug, it's like putting buckyballs and into these holes in the cell to plug the voltage leak. And so it's not it, a six cell leaks energy, it leaks voltage. And this is building the it's like plugging our body back into the battery charger. And it increases glutathione levels as well, which is uh, necessary fuel for our mitochondria. Um, but that's the basic concept of it: is it's it is it's recharging at the cellular level. And so uh, over time, it, it does some other incredible things. It detoxifies. So it it, it literally where you for autism, um, if you it it can pull metals out of the cellular structure as well and um, detoxify the body. So it's it's kind of the a body cleanse in a sense of is like how I like to think of it. Wow, that's amazing. So what um, you know, you spoke to the legislators Monday, and you know uh, the doctors that were there kind of talked about what you guys are facing right now in trying to practice medicine and do no harm and do the right thing. The doctor I was, or the medical professional I was talking to yesterday said that when they were prescribing ivermectin, the pharmaceutical board was reporting them or something. And right. so there's this been this attack on doctors who are trying to provide early treatment. Can you speak to that a little bit? Right. You know, so in the state of Iowa, anybody can lodge a complaint against your license to the board. So the Iowa Board of Medicine, and it doesn't have to have any merit at all. And that person gets to stay anonymous. So it can be somebody that, you know, uh, does not like the fact that we're prescribing ivermectin. All they have to do is lodge a complaint with the Iowa board and then they have to take up a case uh, or they and, and then we have to go and try to defend ourselves. So um, this is this is something that like a Scott Johnson, Senator Johnson out of Minnesota and many other doctors around the country that are frontline doctors advocating for early treatment. Um, <clears throat> if, if there's a way to uh, bring some um, less anonymity to those folks that, especially um, if it's not involving patient care uh, or a patient incident. So it, it could be something that I just don't like the fact that he's prescribing ivermectin. That is enough. It doesn't have to be that there's any kind of outcome that was not liked or um, that it, it's, it's another uh, roadblock for us to give the, the early treatment to the patients that, that need it. So, and most uh, pharmacies won't uh, fill it, won't fill the right. script. Yeah. We've, the, the compound pharmacies have been a godsend. Um, and there are some, some pharmacies that uh, have been amazing, especially in my area that still will fill it that uh, maybe won't in the Des Moines area that, uh, that, have read the articles and the evidence and, and they themselves have had family members that have been treated with these treatments and, and have gotten well quickly. They believe in the early treatment, they've lived it and seen it and they don't feel like they should be the ones standing in the way 
of the doctor and the patient. Exactly. I, I wish there were more pharmacists that felt that way because they, they are they're out over their skis right now um, with regard to uh, blocking prescriptions from physicians. Again, that's <clears throat> there have been a lot of of ways that never used to exist. For instance, the CDC and the NIH, those are supposed to be guideline driven entities for our benefit to give us guidance. They're not supposed to be there to dictate to us what to do, what to prescribe, what not to prescribe. Same thing with the pharmacists. You know, they do a great job. They, I'm thankful for what they do every day, but they also um, are not treating the patient. They are the one not with the patient and hearing the patient's history, their story, and they're there to dispense the medication and, and to do it in a safe manner. And again, 20% of medications are off-label historically that we, that we write for as physicians. That includes um, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And so those are off-label usages, meaning they're what they were marketed for uh, we're using, we're repurposing those medications and using them because they have a benefit to treat another medical condition. That's part of the, the, the art of medicine and, and our ability as a physician to treat each individual patient clinically, uh, to have that, uh, latitude to have those discussions with our patients, uh, these, these, these medications, again, they've been around for decades, exceedingly safe. They didn't come out under an emergency use order, um, which many of the approved treatments are under the emergency use declaration. These other ones that we're, we've repurposed off-label use, they're incredibly safe. The, the safety profile has been around for a long, long time. Um, and so, uh, you know, for instance, Look at the efficacy of ivermectin in India. The, the largest state in India, they eradicated COVID in August because they gave ivermectin to the to the patients or to the to the the citizens in that state of India. So, 23 countries, over 23 countries in the world, have ivermectin as part of their treatment protocol for for uh, COVID-19. Yet, physicians in in this country are being blocked at every every attempt to to do the same thing for their patients. And Dr. James had said it was almost like ivermectin was made to treat COVID. She said it had like 20 mechanisms of action and right. it was almost made to. And I don't, I mean, all one has to really do is follow the money. You know, we are a big uh, capitalist country and, and, the pharmaceutical companies are making billions of dollars right now. They have a captive audience, you know, and they have control of the protocol. So that's right. 23 countries are using ivermectin right now. Uh, that was as of last week. That was, uh, that last was week. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there are probably more by now. What do you think of uh, the big push to give our kids these COVID shots? Reckless, dangerous. Um, Children have some of the most beautiful, natural, innate immunity that there is, and they also don't have the amount of ACE receptors that adults have. 
the ACE2 receptors are what the spike protein likes to attach to to cause all the harm. We have those in our heart and our lung tissue and our kidneys, our ovaries, all these, these tissues sit as receptor sites for the spike protein to come in and essentially wreak havoc in those different organ systems. The children don't have that receptor system fully developed yet. And so that is why not only do they have incredible innate immunity from birth, uh, that is why you see them not getting sick like you do even with the flu. And the flu, far more kids go to the hospital and die each year from the flu, infinitely more than COVID-19. So there's absolutely no indication to be injecting our children with um, something that is in the experimental stages still. We still don't have FDA approval for any of those vaccines that are being utilized in the United States. So anybody that says it's safe for the children, there's no long-term proof to say it's safe for our children. What about the potential fertility? Dr. Ryan Cole, a Mayo-trained pathologist out of, out of Idaho, he, he has spoke to this issue and, and how he's seen in post-vaccinated tissue in the ovaries, inflammation um, and scar tissue buildup. That's something that we don't want to see in our children for sure. Um, not to mention the myocarditis issues. Not to men mention the myocarditis. I mean, how many kids are going to the hospital every year before these vaccines for myocarditis? I mean, it, it was never talked about. It was so, so infinitely small that now it's, it's according to the mainstream, it's an accept, accepted side effect of these vaccines for kids that have a 99.9999% survival rate against COVID that we're going to inject them with something that increases their risk for infertility and, and uh, myocarditis, permanent health problems, per permanent cardiac conditions. And if, this, if, if the injection were effective, then the folks that wanted to have the benefits from, from the injection would be protected. But we've already seen that, that folks that get the injection are still coming down with it. So expecting the children to take the burden to take this injection so that they can't pass COVID on to adults, it's, it is unconscionable. It is, it is reprehensible. It's reckless. And I, I can't come up with enough words to, to, and to say how incredibly frustrated, but not, but sad I am that, that, that so many physicians and healthcare professionals are making that recommendation. I'm glad I asked you the question. I mean, it's, I got a flyer today about a clinic. Uh, it's going to be set up at a community center on Saturday for ages five and up for, for the, to get the shot. And it's, it just blows me away. I mean, that people can't just go to coronavirus.iowa.gov and see that kids aren't affected. Not to mention the potential side effects, but right. you know, they're not affected. So why give them the shot? I mean, it doesn't keep them from getting or spreading the virus. I've read that, you know, they're six times more likely to develop myocarditis and be hospitalized than from COVID. It's, um, it's terrible what we're, we're pushing on our children. And, and a lot of it, it's, there's so much peer pressure and coercion, you know, I mean, 
kids that want to get the shot because all their friends got it and they can't go play at their go to their party if they don't have it. You know, it's it's insanity. It is complete insanity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I think we've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything we missed or anything you'd like to talk about before you get back to work? <laughs> you know, I, I, I just encourage, I, I leave folks with this often, but for people just to, and I spoke with an amazing the pediatric cardiologist that was down in Des Moines from Maui couple days ago and he and I, I just know, um, yeah it was fantastic had a great talk with him he and his wife were on a walk in Hawaii not too long ago talking about how our kings and queens have failed us and um how we need to look within and and uh and go to the ultimate king um, to God for the discernment right now to sift through all of this absolute incredible amount of information and so much of it misinformation and for God to point us to the truth and to ask God directly for that because, you know, man is failing man. Leadership is is failing um, uh, the populations. And, and so find that God courage. That's what we encourage. Um, everybody to do it's it's to things don't feel right trust your gut get down on your knees and pray to god for that discernment for the courage to take each day on and ask god where do you want me to go in this fight where do you want to use me and he will show you so that 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 is my parting it's and that's amazing advice. I mean, really, it's a spiritual battle. And there's been such a huge disconnect in our society from that direct connection to God. You know, daily prayer, meditation, reading your scripture and asking. I mean, just having that running conversation and knowing in your heart what seems right and what doesn't and living a life with discernment, not just listening to what, you know, the TV says or what you know, the propaganda has to say, but really looking within is so important. People are so detracted from their internal self and they're, they're so scattered and, and drawn outward that they just don't take that time. Or, or, But once you have that or once you've felt that or met that, it's really pretty easy to just say, no, that's not right. And I'm going to follow, you know, the path that God's put me on. And, and once you start doing it and, and, and commit yourself to that and be honest with yourself, before I spoke at the Capitol on Monday morning, um, I was nervous and uh, I got down at the Holiday Inn near the airport on my knees and I prayed. So um, we all you prayers, your prayers were answered. You spoke with conviction and people loved what you had to say and you made a huge impact and I know that you made an impact on our legislators as well, which is where we need it most right now, because those guys are voting on the bills and writing the bills and, and we have some champions there. So for them to hear what you had to say was just incredibly important. So thank you. We have you. some champions. You're welcome. I was so, 
Ah, it was so fulfilling to me to to meet those those legislators and to see their courage. And and I think again, I said we we fed off each other's energy and courage, and it was a beautiful day. It was for sure. Well, Doctor Meyer, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Um, Pleasure. You can find Dr. Meyer at drbradleymeyer.com. That's drbradleymeyer.com. He's doing televisits. He's building a great facility and a, a group of practitioners up there in Okaboji. I, I think I'm going to come visit and sit in that chamber. Um, if you like the video, please, please subscribe. Uh, I think our last one had well over a thousand uh, listens and, and just subscribe so we can, you can, get notification when we have another one we've moved over to rumble youtube will not allow this kind of content <laughs> violates their community standards so if you want to have the truth come over to rumble and subscribe many blessings iowans for freedom and anyone listening we will see you next time thank you so much dr bradley yes thank you if you've enjoyed this episode of the freedom factor Please share it and subscribe to our channel. There has been an attack on freedom of speech, and there is only one narrative that is currently being accepted in the mainstream media. Any information that is in opposition to that narrative is being censored. So it's up to us to share the truth in every way that we can. Alone, we may only be one drop of water, but together we are the ocean.